0: Welcome to Noble Warrior Live. This is the place where we talk about what it takes to build purpose-driven organizations. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics. I'm really excited to have my friend Sophia with us today. He is the director of advanced digital creation at VFC. He's an expert in three D design, prototyping tools, entrepreneurship, as well as teaching disruptive thinking to future generations of product designers. Welcome to the show, Sophia. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, CK. It's it's a pleasure to be to be on your podcast.
0: You and I, we are part of this mastermind group where a group of innovators come together, really tackling both these challenges, as well as the opportunities COVID-19 brought to us. So I want to talk to you at at some point about tackling this challenge at this time. How do we accelerate innovation quickly? But before we get there, I want to first ask you about Capoeira. So when I was doing some research about you on YouTube, you, I had no idea. You're a, a student, a fan of Capoeira. So tell us about Capoeira.
1: Well, capoeira is an art form that I, I connected with very late um, in my life. I, was, I think I was 32 when I started. But when I started, I, I immediately fell, fell in love with it. And this art form brings me so much beyond just exercise and, and fitness. You know, the, the capoeira community is an amazing um, community. It's a family. There, there's a deep connection between the individuals, and also between the individuals and the art form. The art form was, uh, you know, has has some roots in in Africa, and through the other slaves that were brought to to South America and Brazil specifically. So that you know, being being uh, half Moroccan, you know, I, I, I definitely connected with with that aspect of things. But um, also the values and the the approach to to training, perfecting ourselves, perfecting the art of the conversation. It's not about it's not about fighting each other, you know. It's about creating a, a conversation between two players in the context of a hatha, in the context of a, of a circle. So there's a there's a very deep spiritual aspect of this, not in the traditional way, but it's you know it, it, it's a, it's an art form that gr- grounds you, that also uh, brings the, the best of you. You know, it's to a certain degree, it's a it's a way for you to give in to your to your instincts. And, and kind of shut off your your prefrontal cortex sometimes.
0: I love it. so thirty two until how old are you now? How, how long have you been practicing? Uh,
1: 14 years I, I, I 14 had a years. Yeah, I had a little bit of a break when, when our twin girls were born. you know I, I paused a lot of a lot of the things that I was doing, but I, I came back uh, a few years ago and I'm, I'm definitely uh, invested in, in
0: the art form. I love it. So, capoeira to me. So, I'm a I'm a martial artist as well. And as you can tell from the title of "Noble Warrior," you know, <laughs> we we talked about martial arts quite a lot. I personally believe that the physicality aspect of it activate the mentality, the emotionality, and the spirituality as well. So they're all superpositioned on top of each other. And the physicality is the fastest way to activate any kind of hidden gifts that's within us. So I love the fact that you, you talked about a few points. You talked about the spirituality aspect of it. You talked about language communication, right? This is a way of communicating with one another. So, one thing you didn't say though, is element of play in capoeira. Most martial arts are very intense and very competitive, whereas to me, Capoeira is about communication. It's about play. So, what would you say to that? Would
1: yeah, you, agree, no, agree? Uh, you know, we say when we practice capoeira and when two uh, capoeiristas are in the, the circle in the hall, that we, we say play capoeira. You know, we don't we don't talk about fight. We don't talk about uh, performance. But it's really the you know it's a, it's a playful yet very intense. There, there are different capoeira games. There are different ways to to play capoeira. There are more physical games. There are more acrobatic ways. There are more slow and, you know, with a focus on, on flow. But it's, yeah, I think it's an important uh, point to to, to to really hone in on the, the fact that it's the, the element of, of play and understanding how you can augment and, and elevate uh, the conversation between, between two companies.
0: And I want to hone in on the word that you use, which is flow and also play a bit. Mihain, and Mihai the guy who wrote the book, The Bible Around Flow, talks about when you're in the flow zone, it feels a lot like play, but it's also dangerous. It's precarious as well. So as someone who is an innovator and someone who is also a martial artist, how do you feel these two concepts coincide with each other? Flow and play.
1: Interesting. I think if when you think of something as play, uh, the barriers you overcome, the the barriers and the, the the mental blocks that you might might have around something, it takes takes away uh, the the fear. It takes the fear of failure. Uh, because when you play, you don't fail. Right? There's no there's no failure in, in in play. You also access a different state of mind when you when you think about. The moment you think about you're you're fully present, and I think that's a that's a big component of, of the the you know the, in the theme of, of flow, and you also it changes the way you are, you actually approach the the situation in front of you. You know, it's uh, you're you're less mentally inhibited, and you open you you open yourself up to possibilities that maybe you, you weren't aware uh, you had in front of you.
0: So someone who not only runs teams of innovators, as well as teaching students the art of innovation as well. Are there sort of rituals or tactics that or practices that you use to put people in that psychological safety position where they can actually say, hey, it's not, it's, it's serious at the same time, we're here to play as well. Is there any kind of tricks that you've used to help people get into the right mindset, get into a play, uh, state of play?
1: If I if I do, maybe I don't do it um, consciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think an, an important component of this is to always connect with the person behind the title, the person behind the position, the role. You know, we're all human beings. You know, nobody's perfect. We have our strengths and our weaknesses. And being able to tap into the strength of the individual as opposed to you know focusing on their position in society, their position in an organization, I think bring, brings out a lot. It also allows us to connect at a much deeper level and really understand when somebody reacts a certain way, you understand the underlying reasons uh, why, why this is happening. And I think in, in in every relationship, whether it's professional, whether it's educational, uh, or whether it's personal, I try to connect with with uh, the individual. I try to connect with with the person and mm. see how build bridges, because it, I think it's those bridges. It's that, I like to, to speak about that, the space in between, you know, this is where the biggest opportunities are, whether it's, you know, organizations, technologies, people, the, the the space in between is the one that that I believe has the most most opportunities and and you know you see that in when when you build bridges when you when you connect with others you know when you connect people who maybe didn't know each other but share values I think that that has a, a big you know big role to play in in, in the success of any any endeavor.
0: Why don't you say more about that in between spaces? I would say you also have mentioned that in one of the talks you gave, I saw that in, I believe it was something like IDS meetings or something like that. I'm curious to know, can you elaborate what you mean by the in between spaces?
1: So that, that construct came to me um, pre- pretty early. I was born um, to a Moroccan father and a German mother. So I've in. You know, throughout my life, I've been in between two cultures. You know, when we were at school, when I was in Morocco, I was always the German and or, or the European. When I was in Europe, I was always considered to be the, the Moroccan. Also, in my education, you know, I have a, a mechanical a mechanical engineering degree. I also have an industrial design degree. And you know, from the, the battles that I that I I witness inside my head every every day you know between my my scientific you know my my engineering brain and my artistic side you know it's it's a, it's a very interesting uh, conversation that that leads to sometimes you know sometimes a lot of frustration but also sometimes some 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 fascinating outcomes so i've always found myself in in this space in between and and, and seeking that, that that space in between and it's also the realization that i'm not the best engineer out there i'm not the smartest guy you know in in, in my circle, I'm not the best designer, right? But, you know, being able to find the connections between opportunities, between tools, between people and activate those connections, I think it is is what has the potential of, of bringing some some really powerful outcomes. You know, it's the same way as um, you and Karen Solomon connected connected us, you know, connected this, this group of innovators. You know, being able to find ways to bring together people, forces, tools, organization, organizations that can actually work together and tackle a, a challenge together, I think is, is what to me has the biggest, the biggest potential out there. And so that's mm-hmm. the, that's the space in between the, 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 connectivity that I'm, that I'm eager to, to develop.
0: So let me hear you correctly. You're... the the way you think about it is, how do we connect different resources? How do we bridge between different resources? By bridging, kind of thinking about computer science network effect, you are effectively increasing the value, quote unquote, of the entire network by just creating different connections. Is that an accurate mental model, what I recreate?
1: And and to go back to the the capoeira uh, Mm -hmm. example, you know, building the synergy. You know, there's this effect of there's this compounded effect of what the the two caporistas are doing in the in the in the HANA, that conversation that hap- that is happening, but also the energy, the what we call the ashe, the energy that's created by the the the, the participants outside, being able to create that connection and activate uh, that synergy, so that the the end effect is much more powerful than what every every individual can 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 activate. Uh, it's, it's something that I think is really, really
0: powerful. I love that. namely because you go from a very conceptual idea of bridging notes to now capoeira. Now I'm visualizing two capoeiristas in the middle and then you have a crowd of people. So if you can bring that to someone who is listening to this right now, how can they go and, right? So you have a single note, a single person with some interesting ideas, let's say, and how can this person- oh.
1: Sorry, I think I lost you.
0: Sure. How, you can, how,
1: how, can, how can you go from the, the node, the single person to... Yeah,
0: so a single person heard you, inspired by this idea. Can you give us some tactical ways to go on and activate this hidden energy, hidden resource, hidden flow? If you think about a very uh, Taoist point of view, flow is a, a body... Being stagnant is, 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 is dead, right? But when a body is flowing, now you're creating life into this. So how do you tactically create new ideas and new flow by connecting different cohorts of people together?
1: I think from a personal point of view, the, the, the most important thing and the, the starting point is really to find your tribe, you know, find people mm-hmm. who share the same values Not necessarily people who have the same background as you, people who, you know, who are similar to you, but at least share the same values and, and, you know, be a connector. You know, you're a connector. I like to connect, you know, good people also. And, you know, identify people who can actually bring something to the conversation. And you you have, you know, you talk about flow. Flow is about energy, right? You Mm -hmm. have to feel there's something immaterial that, that happens when a connection clicks you know, when, when, when two people feel that you know that the there's there's something beyond just the, the physicality of 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 being next to each other or talking to each other that's pretty powerful. So I think if you're able to find find your tribe and be able to create a a way for that tribe to come together, you know, you can then start and it doesn't necessarily have to do with, with your professional professional situation. You know, it could be uh, connecting about a passion, connecting about um, a, a hobby or about family or things like that. But I think, you know, if you're able to do that, the power of networks, I think, is extremely is extremely powerful. And the power of networks, we see a lot of the, the the dark side of the power of networks. You know, the the way, not to bring it back to the to the crisis we're currently living, but you know. Uh, the way the, the the virus propagates has been propagating uh, in an exponential way, is showing us the, the the dark side of of networks, you know. But there's there's obviously a, a very positive side side here, and the this this power of networks, and I'm not even talking about social networks, but those help. Those are platforms that platforms that help. But just being able to 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 connect and and you know, connect about a specific topic. And maybe work together to tackle this specific challenge. You know whether it's, it's local, it's personal, it's helping one of the one of the people in the group, or it is uh, societal or humanitarian. You know, I think there's a, there's a, an amazing opportunity to 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 come together and each bring each play our part and each contribute to to this this force that, that's going to take on the, this challenge.
0: Thank you. Well, I do want to drill in on that a little bit more, because let's say, again, I'm I'm inspired by this idea. I want to connect. I want to find my tribe, but there's so many different modalities, so many different zones or sphere of influence I can start. As you said, I can start from the personal to the family level, to the social level, to a hobby level, to a societal level, to a global level. There's so many different paths that I can pick, right? There are so many different social platforms that I can pick from, from the known social network to the unknown or uh, strangers, right? The Reddit is the, the, the Twitters, like right? yeah. all of that. So there's the entire, uh, space of different possibilities. Do you have a, a rubric as a way to say, Hey. Think about this, this, and this to yeah. pick the most optimal ways to find your tribe. I
1: think it's. I think it starts with sharing your thoughts, sharing your passion, voicing. You know, get your voice out there, get your message out there. Each and every one of us has a personal message, a personal vision, and it's important if you keep it to yourself, nobody will know what you're about. You know, and I found, um, I've been in my professional role i've been asked to to speak you know in several conferences and share my thoughts i would get the most out of a conference not by attending the conference and seeing what everyone else sees sitting down and hearing what everyone hears but i got the most out of conferences by stepping up and 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 talking about something presenting something you know knowing realizing that i'm not the subject matter expert you know there are people who know a lot more than than i do but maybe these people are not there right now, you know, and, and so whatever I can share, I'm more than happy to share. And what that has resulted in is people coming to me and, and sharing similar, similar thoughts, similar concerns, sometimes even, even sharing opposing, opposing opinions. You know, that's, that's absolutely OK. But, you know, putting your voice out there invites people into your, into your, your point of view, into your space and that's a good starting point because then you can you know you you're effectively building your own tribe like this you know not not that you're an evangelist or a, you know someone who's who's starting a new a new sect but it's just you know putting your values out there and inviting others to connect with you so i think that's a, that's a, you know tactically speaking that's a good that's a good approach and then being open being open to to seeing what, what comes out there
0: mm, thank you I think you describe the impetus of noble warrior Podcasts perfectly. When I was trained academically, I, my thought was I won't share my voice until it's perfect, but that perfection is so elusive. You never get there. And at some point I just like give up, but my friend reminded me to say, Hey, CK, you don't need to be the guy with all of the answers. You know, the monk from the mountaintop with all of the answers. You can be the documentarian of your own journey. And you just share, uh, one, your curiosity, and then two, talk to other people who may be your teacher, maybe a a peer, maybe a student. And then those are uh, aligned with your curiosity, your your affinity for intellectual questions. They will follow behind you. So my personal transformation in, in all of this, in starting Noble Warrior Life, is that No longer I'm about achieving an outcome, a massive amount of audience. Obviously I appreciate that, but my payoff right now is, is, is happening right here. It's the connection with my guest. And so thank you for, for capturing everything that I, my, my personal journey.
1: Thank you for, for making it happen.
0: Yeah. Okay. So share my voice starting a podcast, right? Interview yeah. interesting people. Anything else about creating and and unleashing the the power of the network? What's next?
1: So, once you've you've created you've created your tribe, you I think it's it's important to be able to identify how to best connect and how to drive certain outcomes out of out of this. Very often groups are formed and but nothing really comes out of it. So setting an intention is is very, very important. You know why am I reach out, reaching out to you right now? And you did that very well when we first talked uh, talked about this podcast, you know it's part of your your questions. you know what is your intention coming out of the, this this experience? and being very clear about what the desired outcome is uh, and not being afraid of, of aiming of starting small you can aim high but start small because if you think too much about uh, where you need to where ideally you want to land you, you know you you might you might get uh, disappointed because it will take time to to get there but everything will 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 come as as quickly so you know starting small being being okay with failing you know, this is another thing that we teach in our, in our product innovation class, product design class. Part of the design thinking approach is, is about making sure you give yourself the space to fail, fail fast, fail often, but put something out there, put something out there, get feedback and improve. You know, it's also the, you know, the, the idea of Kaizen, it's, it's the idea of, of not overthinking the, the result that you're trying to achieve, but continuously improve what 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 you bring and ultimately you know making sure you're very clear about where where you want to be so once you once you activate your tribe and they all everyone understands um, why they're there and what they can contribute i think it makes the conversation a lot lot more productive and it's it's also it's actionable and it's also you know purpose oriented the purpose i think is what inspires people you know, a higher purpose, a noble per- purpose will, will activate, you know, people who have the same values.
0: Can you define that word purpose for us? Cause purpose is a meta description of something, right? And it could be, mean something different for me versus for you. So for you, what's purpose for you?
1: So that's a, that's, that's a loaded question right there. There's a lot of, thank lot you. Of-
0: I I'm really, really good at asking loaded questions, please, yeah. please.
1: So for me personally, I'll, I'll, I'll share my, my personal inter- interpretation of this is it's an it's an underlying thread, an underlying narrative that inspires you day in, day out. It's something that you know that drives every action, whether it's consciously or unconsciously. And it's it's the desire coupled with so the desire or the intention, coupled with the effort, that will ultimately um, allow you to put all your initiatives, all your your endeavors, align them all uh, towards a single a single outcome. That outcome can be can be very focused. It can be also pretty broad, but as long as it it activates all your you know all your internal, well, your internal framework, but also all your individual actions uh, and aligns them all. I think you've, you've, that's, that's when you've, you've created a purpose for yourself. And, and that's when, that's, that's when you're actually able to, to define it and share it
0: with, with others. Mm. Thank you for that. The way I teach my audience on my podcast, I, I tell them my purpose is your North star It's it's the guiding force right? Different language to your point, but very similar in that way. And you don't need to find it, you already do it. You just need to clarify it, you need to language it, what it is that you already do. And you also know when you're not on purpose, when you go off track is when you holistically feel within your body, something's off, there's the a little irritation, or there's a little bit of a void, right, something that's off, and then you can bring it back to your own purpose, whatever that is for you, right? Then you feel so much better. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you okay. for sharing. Appreciate that. When did you crystallize your purpose?
1: I was asked the question a, a, a number of years ago. I think. So, let me start with this. About in 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 2010, I had been working you know for Vance for for a number of years and. You know, there were a lot of, I was taking on a lot of challenges that I, that I, that I believed were, were worthy and I was seeing that I was making an impact. You know, I, I created a, an internship program and, and understood the power of giving students, giving younger, younger generations a chance, you know, helping, helping them along, along the way. So that, that became very quickly one of my, you know, one of my guiding forces, And but I I understood that this might be just a component of of a much bigger bigger vision that that is was was taking time to, to crystallize itself. I also understood very quickly, you know, being a designer, being a problem solver, that you know as an individual, my impact was very limited. But as a a network and as a as a tribe of designers, our our common. And our joint creative problem-solving skills would be an amazing, an amazing force that could take on big challenges. Again, you know, those can be societal. This could, this could be humanitarian. And in 2010, after the the earthquake in in Haiti happened, a couple of weeks afterwards, my brother-in-law was in was in Haiti, was part of the emergency response team, was was that, which was being sent there. I called him up when, one day. I said. Is it okay if I if I come for a week? I have I have time off. I need to take time off, but I want to better understand what it takes to solve problems during a in the context of a natural a natural disaster and a, of a catastrophe. This is something that I've i would always you know I've seen you know natural disasters happen every year. You know they happen everywhere. Nobody we we, we see it. This is this is a good example. You know this is a. Um, this is a situation that, that we live in right now. And I understood that, you know, you could try to find solutions in the comfortable setting of your studio and, you know, from, from, you know, uh, sipping on a, on a nice latte, but until you go and see things firsthand, you, you have no idea. And it, it's just the, the principle of, of empathy that, that kind of is the basis of, of design thinking and human-centered design. So I decided to spend a week, I, I flew down there, the, the, the flights were super cheap because nobody nobody was going there. but I, I went there with my with my cameras and I decided to document. you know I decided to document every day the the different aspects of the the relief efforts. And I, I connected with you know one with one of the, the the friends of the of of the response team who agreed to to drive me around and and show me show me all the aspects of of this. We still we still communicate ten years later. And, uh, and so we, we, he took me around and I, I documented uh, the aspects of obviously the, the damage, the people, the, the shelters, because shelter was obviously a, a huge uh, component of this. The aid, you know, I sat in daily meetings at the UN compound and I, I was able to, to really see how, how well they were actually organizing and coordinating, coordinating the efforts. And, and so I was able during that week to, to put together a, a photo essay. That I thought would be a good, a good example or a good resource for designers who want to design solutions. You know, whether it's for shelter or for sanitation or things like that. And obviously, this is one type of, of natural disasters, a national disaster, natural disaster. It's one type of response. Uh, but I think if we could if we could do the same for a number of different occurrences, we'd get a better understanding of what we design them for. And, and that's when it, it occurred to me that, you know, the combination of, of this approach and the connectivity that I have with, with students and other designers created an opportunity to leverage, you know, help leverage our, our, our common creative problem solving skills to take on some of these, these big challenges. And, you know, we had i was I was really inspired by by Cameron Sinclair. We organized a a call with with my USC class this this past week, a, a few days ago, where he talked about all the work, all the amazing work that he's done in the, the humanitarian and and specifically in the shelter space. And I think there's and and what's great is that I was able to to in the in the context of the classes that I teach, the classes that I taught at Art Center, specifically a, a few years back. One of them being the prompt was very simple. The prompt was displaced. And I and we let I was co-teaching the the class and I let the we let the the students interpret displacement the the way they 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 felt was the more powerful. Some students took on the, the topic of emotional displacement of of children who were adopted, who, who went from foster family to foster family, some pe- some students took on the, the the displaced the displacement of communities because of rising water. Some of them obviously took on the, the IDP, the internally displaced people, as as their 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 target user. But I, I understood there that it was it was a great opportunity to enlist these students and you know both teach them but at the same time you know let them participate in an effort to come up with solutions to 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 big big challenges and so mm-hmm. this is how slowly i was able to to understand that this is actually uh, something that needed to be developed and this is also what led me to to teach two classes uh, this year one at art center this this semester one at art center one at usc and uh, you know get, teach them the tools to be more responsible creators, give them access and expose them to new digital platforms, new digital tools that allow them to, to build the superpower, you know, build up the superpower and help them, you know, communicate, improve, ideate the, the, on, on the, the ideas and the concepts that they had. One, to to become better designers in the industry that they choose, but also on the side, two, to allow them to maybe apply those skills to to bigger, bigger purposes.
0: So over the years, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of different entrepreneurs. And although the podcast is, this is going to be podcast number 60-ish, right? Around purpose-driven entrepreneurs. And I think the example that you just gave is the perfect illustration of the outliers that I've seen, who are the most successful, who are the most out of the box thinkers regarding it, and let me underline a couple of points for you. One is you, the the new entrepreneurs, the designers, the problem solvers. Usually, what they do is they design from an arm, armchair. Hmm, theoretically, let me think about how do I solve this problem, and that's okay. But the most accelerated path that I've seen, the quickest way to get exactly what the customers, the end users need is to go to the source as quickly as possible. So in that way you can have rapid feedback loop and then also really get an emotional gauge of whether or not the solutions that you've been thinking about is hitting the need. Is that an accurate reflection of what you did?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Beautiful. Uh, second thing that I want to also underline too is you can solve problems from multiple different ways. And there's the left brain approach and the right brain approach, the left brain is all about cerebral. Logically, here's how we solve this problem, right brain is all about emotional. But the best entrepreneurs, the problem solvers that I've seen is they have a very deep internal awareness of, you know, how to empathize with the problems that these end users or customers or clients face and then design accordingly based on their need versus just purely a logical solution or a emotional solution because ultimately people buy emotionally and then rationalize yep. logically would you is that a, a, a good reflection back on absolutely. the approach you teach your student
1: absolutely yeah.
0: so i want to uh, bring us to this time COVID, a lot of people are furlough, right? A lot of individual designers, engineers, technologists, roboticists, all kinds of people, right? And they see this, and there's a lot of desire to I want to help, I may have some set of skills, and I may even assemble a small team. But the challenge that I see is, let's say they come up with the prototype, does that mean that they need to now go and create a marketplace, you know, to get the source, the funding source, the, the, the factory source, the, the fulfillment to build this whole thing, or are there more accelerated way to collaborate together, to, to make the prototypes fast, to give it to the end users, to procure the resources necessary to the, from the hospitals or the doctors or wherever. From your point of view as a systems thinker do you have any recommendation bring it to a specific individual a group of innovators like the our mastermind right come out with let's say uh, a snorkel mask hack to build either a filter or a air purifying thing what should they do
1: So this was this was actually something that very recently has has become a, an opportunity that, that I did not anticipate would present itself because, you know, I I myself had was was struggling a little bit to to find and connect with with like-minded people. You know, I obviously have have my network and I've I've built I've built several tribes around specific specific topics, but you know, outside of our, my my professional environment, and, and we have the innovation team at VF really came together. And, and is in the process of, of coming up with, with some some amazing solutions and have activated a number of uh, initiatives and things like that. But that was that would tackle one aspect of, of the crisis. There, there were more immediate needs that, that I think are, you know needed to be to be tackled. And before yourself and, and Karen connected connected me with, with the amazing group that, that we're not now part of, it would have been a little bit more difficult to to have an impact because I I don't have all the equipment, all the the resources that that I needed to to be able to execute on some of the ideas that I had. Um, Also, you know, didn't have everything figured out. And I think, so that being said, there are platforms, there are websites um, out there that that attempt to centralize a lot of that that information, connect those who need equipment with those who are able to, to produce. I think one of them that was brought to my attention, I think, is really good. It's it's America Makes, so it's it's a I think it's a federal resource, a federal website that that aims to to connect, you know, those who are able to provide support from from an advanced manufacturing, three D printing, additive manufacturing point of view, with with entities, individuals who need a, a PPE, and and beyond. So they, there are a number of platforms that, that are up and, and running that, that connect people who can help with people who need, need the help. But in this specific case, the, the case that you mentioned, one of our doctor friends came to me with a, with a challenge. You know, his his colleagues at the hospital where, where he works in had, had identified uh, an opportunity to use full-face snorkel masks. And connect them with inline hyperfilters, filters, you know, the, the types that, that you, you connect to uh, to CPAP machines. But that connect that connection, they could not figure out how to, to to make it a lasting connection that could be clean, that that could be durable, and things like that. And so through his wife and my wife, you know, we're able to to, to chat and then he explained the project to me. And I was very, very quickly, it's a very simple object, it's a very simple product. Was able to uh, to design and CAD a, a connector that would that would allow them to to connect um, the two components because I don't have a 3D printer at home. You know we have the 3D printers at, at the Vance headquarters in Costa Mesa, but you know we're not able to to go there. I I couldn't have I had an idea and I had a CAD file, but I did not have a way to uh, to print it. And through the 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 group that that we founded that we we call the Mafia for Good. I was able to connect to uh, to one one person specifically, Kevin Bass, who who helped me. He had a three print, D printer. Now here, I think he has a number of three D printers at home, and we're able to to quickly execute, quickly three D print a a prototype, and then I gave it to the doctor, and he was able to you know the next day he was he was back at the hospital tested, give me some feedback, and then and then now we're we're in the process of, of printing a, a number, I think two hundred fifty of them. And at the same time, 150? 250. yeah.
0: That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's great. Amazing. This all this is
1: all thanks to not Kevin but his connections, and I think you know this is this is really a group effort. We each brought not only those who connected the dots but those who were able to participate a small aspect of the the solution. You know, we we all came came up, and it's something that's that's making a, a difference. There. are a number of, of hospitals and, and frontline workers that need that need help right now. this is a very small um, drop um, in the ocean that we're we're providing but you know by collaborating and making making our our part our 3d file available to to those who maybe have opportunities to print you know local for local and and help out local local frontline workers and doctors. You know, we can we can make small, small difference in the lives of, of, of those who help us. You know, we're not saving lives, we're just preventing those who are actually on the front line, saving saving lives to get sick themselves because they have families, you know, they have they have a life, they're they're giving everything that they have, and, and it's absolutely one of the noblest things you can you can do.
0: Well, I mean, I I want to make a tiny correction there. You said we're not saving life. I beg to differ from my point of view because the name of the game for this COVID nineteen problem is not necessarily a symptom relief per se, although very very important to me. the The most dangerous part is how 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 viral this thing is. Because if you get it, on on average, you you pass it to three people, and then by definition, that's exponential, like super super quick, right? So this type of preventive measures to me actually holds the key to flatten the curve or curb the disease or the virus spread or whatever you call it is to me the most important thing. So my friend, good work there. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. 250 masks will be made. Yeah. And
1: you were, you were instrumental in making that happen. So yeah, Thank you.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. So thinking ahead though, let's say All right, so this is a doable solution. We're hacking an existing product. We don't need to build something brand new from 3D printing or molding or things like that. And it's possible we can also upgrade it to something else. Instead of just a passive filter, we can hook it up with another pump. So now all of a sudden it's an air purifying thing happening just within a system. And we can make it, let's say a hundred bucks versus $1,500, right? So that's a very doable solution. So say that's the direction that this group of innovators, again, we're using this as an example, want to go. Are there ways to their marketplace of ideas or prototypes that you can point whoever's listening to this who aspire to build something similar?
1: Yeah, there are a number of them, and the group uh, that we're part of has been really good about um, sharing a lot of these resources. We'll have to find a way to get them to the audience because I don't know them um, off the top of my head. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are resources that people can can go. One of the, I think one of the most impressive one was the, I think it's called the Coronavirus Tech Handbook. Um, sure. And it's it's one of the, the databases that, attempts to bring together all the information bring together and organize um, all sure. the information about what's being done, what's being needed, who's doing what, who can help with what. And uh, you know right now, again, with uh, the power of networks and the power of digital technologies, we have a lot of a lot of access to a lot of data. We have a lot of uh, access to a lot of information, more information that, that we can process individually. So working together and, you know, I have, I have some, some friends who are working on, on a Kaggle project that, uh, that attempts to, to use artificial intelligence to parse all that information, extract a lot of the key, the key aspects, helpful aspects. And again, this is a great example of using digital technologies to allow us to react much faster And because time is of the essence right now. Economies are, are on a standstill, um, right. are people are dying. So time is definitely the, one of the most commodities, the, the most important currencies that, that we are dealing with right now. So being able to parse through all the, the information and connect, again, we come back to the to the connectivity, connect those who need and with those who can provide solutions or resources or money or, or parts uh, or just information, I think is is the most important uh, thing you can do right now.
0: I think one of the biggest challenge as an innovator, whether you're a PhD researcher or you're a roboticist or you're a designer, the biggest challenge is where do you, where do I go to meet the right people? Because if I don't meet the right people, I got to build my own infrastructure and building your own infrastructure, it takes a long time. And a lot of times building an idea is very fragile. It's like building a. It's like, a planting a garden and yeah. the, the sprouts are very, very fragile. So you, you try to protect it and from the wind and the elements. And then once it gets bigger and bigger, then of course, then you can take everything away. So, so, I, so I wanted to actually see if we can help our people, concretize that even more. So giving this snorkel mask hack example, you receive a knee from the end user. You figure out a way to solve problem with the group of innovators with the solutions that you need. You made a prototype. You brought it back to the end user, get some feedback. And then, then you continue to grow it out to 250. And then beyond that, possibly, so right now this is a donation, right? A goodwill donation. Do you see possibility to... Again, we're using this as a very example for the hospitals to procure, because they do need it for their hospital staff or the neighboring hospitals or the community hospitals, right? Are there ways to match the people with resources and uh, an innovative solution for that?
1: So I think what's happening, and this might be one of the challenges we face as, as, as individu- individuals, but also as a society, is that... Um, mm a lot of these solutions that that are being developed right now um, yeah. cannot be certified you know there's obviously in the yeah. medical world you can't just you know create something and use it and you know there, there are strict protocols to be to be followed to to certify specific equipment for for use because there are lives at risk right and I think the, oh, the
0: lives are are right risk mm-hmm. are at risk
1: and my understanding is that a lot of the hospitals are not able to to purchase equipment mm-hmm. that is not that is not certified right mm-hmm. so that's why uh, it's actually a lot of the doctors and a lot of the frontline workers who are personally uh buying mm-hmm. the equipment and, and using it to to protect themselves mm-hmm. so this is something we have to we have to be aware of but if you think about it this in this environment a lot of the rules don't apply anymore you know if yeah. you have to choose between waiting for for FDA-certified equipment and mm-hmm. exposing yourself to to a risk, and mm-hmm. and finding something that's actually that you feel really really good that is is gonna it's gonna help. I think we you know we again we have to ask fast uh, act act fast, mm-hmm. and just you know find immediate solutions and and maybe see how later we can improve them or certify them and things like that. So that's mm-hmm. that's one of the, the the possible challenges that that we're working against. But again, you know, it's it's the idea of coming up with, uh, with an idea, testing it in a, in a safe environment, making sure that there are ways, you know, there are studies out there. And I think that the idea of of the connector uh, between the, the snorkel mask and the, and the filter has been around for, for a few months. And there's, there's an effort. I think there was a study between uh, Stanford and University of Utah that was put together and, and they, they applied, they submitted it to, to the FDA. It's pending. But again, it's it's a matter of, of really understanding what can be done now, testing it, and then improving on it. You know, improving mm-hmm. on, making sure that you take the the right precautions. And again, it's it's about seeing what's being done and and working together to come up with a solution that is um, as close as something that is uh, that can be certifiable. And and that comes down to uh, to being able to see what what was done somewhere else at another time. You know, I think uh, Italy. there was uh, that was uh, one of those designs that w- that was uh, developed in Italy first, and then in the United States too. So you know, it's not again. You know, we're not aiming for the perfect solution right here because that perfect solution will take some time to to develop. But we're we're bridging the gap between what is needed and 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 what is available in, in this uh, in this time span.
0: Yeah, as we were speaking, somehow Steve Jobs how he calls his people pirates kind of come to mind. So now's the time to be a pirate, just get it done. Cool, so let's see, let's let's project forward, right? There are a lot of different opportunities, not just the PPE designs and supply chain issues, but a post COVID world is here. Chances are we won't be back to movie theaters, sports arenas or large conferences in a near future, right? Six months, a year, maybe we'll see, right? Things happen like that in terms of psychological safety and as well as uh, vaccine design and all sorts. Anyways, my projection six months to a year, right? So projecting forward, how does it shift? What kind of, cause innovation in my mind is like surfing. It's like surfing. You want to... Paddle where the waves is going; otherwise, you're too late. So, are there trends that you see as someone who is responsible for innovation for VFC that you use, or well, that you see right now? And also, what's the rubric that you use to identify future opportunities?
1: Yeah. No, I think it's uh, it's something that I that I spoke about in in, a, in another webinar.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you if you think about the current situation and 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 where we are, the the tectonic plates have have shifted dramatically. You know, mm-hmm. uh, effects of what we're living on, we're living uh, right now, are here, and and will most likely be, be permanent. Certain aspects of, of those effects might might be here for for a long long time and that might completely change the way we we behave as individuals and as societies, and so. Given my my background in my my area of, of interest professionally, I'm I'm looking at digital technologies, and I'm realizing that our threshold for acceptance of some of these digital tools and, and platforms has been lowered. All of a sudden, everyone I mean lower. Is that um, every, you yeah, lowered. Everyone yeah. Uh, suddenly um, has become pretty proficient at at remote collaboration. You know, running Zoom meetings, running Zoom classes. You know, everyone. Right first grade or or preschool teachers to to college professions you know have mm. a, have had to to pivot on a dime mm. and so what's really interesting is that you know a lot of these digital technologies are now um, becoming the only way to maintain continuity between you know what we we're doing before and, and and what we have to how we have to adjust right now so it's it's really interesting how, this situation has forced a lot of organizations, individuals, even whole countries, to think um, differently and to adapt. This is kind of a fast forward, fast forward way for for us to. It's a crash course, basically, in digital technologies. You know, designers. It's a forcing
0: that, function. I call it. It's a what? Forcing function.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and and what's really interesting to me is that access to education is be is also being made easier you know my my daughters are are taking piano piano lessons on an app and I, they're learning the piano faster than i ever did you know I, I took 11 years of i played um the piano for 11 years i know for a fact that i did not learn as fast as as they did i, I take up a classes uh, over zoom things that things that you know go ahead
0: why do you think that is is it the gamification, the fast faster yeah. feedback loop? Is yeah. it just their brains are different, or is it because they're girls? Like, what? Why do you think they learn faster than you did?
1: I think it's it has to do with with the way the program the programs are, are actually uh, built. The gamification definitely helps. The fact that you know when I when I studied the piano, I had one class per week. Granted, I had my grandmother would sit with me every day for an hour or two to practice. Mm. But one I had feedback once a week. Now with, with these apps, you have instant feedback, you know, and it's gamified and, and the, the the users, the, the children connect with that and, and it stimulates them. So I think you know this is a great example of of a way of learning that's being disrupted by digital technologies. Granted, you know, piano professor when this is all said and done, we will We will take them to, uh, to, to piano lessons with a piano teacher, but at the very least, while we're here while we're all stuck inside, they're learning the, the basics, they're learning how to learn, learn, um, to read the notes and, and everything. So I was bringing this up because now that we've almost dematerialized and uh, you know for the most part also demonetized a lot of aspects of, of what we've done, there's a huge opportunity to democratize access to technologies, access to education. You know, there are a number of, of programs, Ivy League classes that are now available on, for free on online. You know, you can, you know, because now we have figured out a way, which might not be perfect, but we figured out a way to to teach remotely. We can now start thinking about what this means to bring knowledge and education to areas of the world that, that didn't have access to that, you know? And, and again, it's that space in between. You know, there's, there's opportunities, there's knowledge, and there, there are places that are hungry for knowledge, hungry for education, but that do not have access to, to education. So how do we bridge that gap um, is something that I'm, I'm actually uh, really um, excited about. And, and we, we have a, a project and, and very active conversations with, with a tribe, one of, my, one of the tribes that I've, I'm part of, to, to focus on that.
0: The Aspen Institute, yeah. Nope,
1: no, um, not in the Aspen no, no, Aspen it's
0: a different one. Uh,
1: they're definitely uh, thought partners, and uh, several of them are part of the conversation. But that the Aspen Institute First Business Fellowship is is also one of these uh, these platforms and these programs that connect people, you know, connect like minded people who share the same values, who are in- entrepreneurs, innovators in their in their own organization. Who are pretty much dealing with very similar challenges, and so the, the the program, the fellowship, brings them together, and it's been a it's been an amazing experience being connected with with these thinkers.
0: Have you seen a good model to support democratization of let's say educational content? And then I I asked this question also specifically the the desire is there, right? However. And also the, the, the content is there. However, there's infrastructure costs and cost of hiring, the the professors, you get what you pay for, so to speak. So the idea of democratizing, uh, content is great. Let's say Khan Academy, YouTube has been, you know, tremendous there, but the quality varies, Yeah. right? So have you seen a good model where, Hey. We can have a sliding scale based on your wherever you're located or in some kind of a way, so that way there's still fairness. There's still supportive, synergistic circle from the users to the people providing the service.
1: So I think what's important to 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 know that is is that when so through digital technologies, and I, I refer to the the six D's. You know, the 6D construct that, that Peter Diamandis has, has come up with, has developed, and I think it, it works really well. In the, in the context of education, you are, a lot of the, the content... All right,
0: you, you can't just say 6D construct and fly past that. Can you uh-huh. tell us what 6Ds are? Okay.
1: So it's, it's uh, if, if anyone w- wants to look it up, I think it's pretty powerful. It's the 6Ds of exponential transformation. So it starts with digitized. Deceptive or deception, disruptive, Mm -hmm. demonetized, materialized, and then it ends with democratized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll I'll give you an example. Because of a single event right now on the other side of the world, our life, our work, and our education have been, I would say, catapulted into this new space. Mm -hmm. Um, The only way we're connected is through digital technologies, right? And Mm -hmm. and. you know, if um, we didn't have electricity or Wi-Fi or Internet, I don't know what we would be doing, but uh, it certainly would be a little bit more, more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so the transition started very deceptively, as did, as did the propagation of the virus. If you look at the curve, you know, at the very beginning, it was just a few cases and then slowly, slowly. And then all of a sudden you saw that, that knee of the curve, right? But it, it started deceptively slow, but it was global. And it disrupted our day-to-day lives gradually. Mm-hmm. Uh, then people came together, you know. Uh, they came together. They offered up what they what they had to help others, and this is still happening for free. You see all the um, all the mini concerts uh, together at home. Actually, there's a there's a major concert right now that's that's happening, you know, that's on YouTube. That's going to be uh, going on live uh, for another few hours. But this content has been completely demonetized. Free concerts, free webinars free classes three free resources and things like that and on a more practical level because we're not all in the same place anymore we don't work in the same place anymore everyone is kind of you know in in their own in their own space we're now forced to conduct our business our classes uh, in a dematerialized dematerialized way you know the learning apps have have replaced school books so everything is digitalized. The decisions are made using virtual product, and this is definitely true in, in the apparel and, and footwear industry that I'm, that I'm in. A lot more of the decisions are made not on physical samples anymore, but on virtual assets. Even happy hours are no virtual, right? Although the, the drinks are very real. So, but the, the last point that I'm, I'm really most um, interested in is that, that the topic and the, the theme of democratization. You know, we, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but access access in general, it's a big A, will soon be democratized. We're, we're mm. starting to understand the mechanics of this, and we're starting to see the, the opportunities. But provided you have a computer or a, a device and internet access, or a vehicle and a smartphone, you can contribute to helping others and to finding solutions. You can have access to the knowledge, the education, and you can also have access to work. You know, somewhere, someone in, in, in the middle of uh, Central Africa, provided that, that they have a, a computer and, and a good wifi, Wi-Fi connection, can learn the skills. Can learn the skills that can allow them to contribute and can allow them to uh, find work and, and, and be part of a virtual team. And, and so that's why I think that that construct is, is, really, is really powerful. And, but the, the opportunity and the impact that this is going to have on education, in my opinion, is, is, is very, very, very powerful.
0: Mm. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of exciting uh, possibilities to come. Have you been to Burning Man, by the way, just out of curiosity? I have not.
1: We were going you to go here, but I have not.
0: Yeah, I mean, as we were talking about the 60s, that actually came to mind. And I, I wanted to bring that to a, an example because a Bernie man is demonetized. It's not dematerialized, but it's demonetized, right? It's so they practice this uh, gratitude based economy or gift economy rather. Mm-hmm. So no money is exchange and you, part of the core values is well gifting each other with what you have. And I think that works temporarily. During the Burning Man period, yeah. and 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 people who are in it, they love it, right? And and also because we have a abundance of resources, we're prepared for it. We have abundance of resources. It's part of the culture. Have to give it, and then you're kind of a weirdo if you don't have something to give in that broader environment, right? So I think. Implicitly in the thing, everything the 60 that you talked about, the the implication of that is we have lots to go around, l- abundance of resources, talents, gifts, products and services to, to go around. Is that a accurate assessment of what you said? Okay.
1: yeah. And I think I, th- I think we're living this right now. You know, we're we li- we're living a modified version of Burning Man right now because everyone's compelled you know, again, all bets are out, organizations, individuals are all in the mindset of giving and, and participating and supporting, right? We're not, nobody's in, nobody should be in it right now to make a profit. And, and so that's what's, what's happening right now. And I think, you know, it, it brings us, it brings up a good point, which is, you know, maybe a barter economy might not be, going back to a barter economy might not be that bad, you know, if we, if the, the value that we attach to, a, to a service that can be measured, not in a, in a, you know, number of, of, or in a specific currency, but in what people can actually, how people can actually contribute and can help with what they have. I think it might be a, an interesting experiment. And I think we're living this experiment right now.
0: And I asked the, uh, I, I kind of focus on the, the resource aspect of the monetization aspect of it a bit, because also. I know people who are fur- furloughed and then they're gifting their time, their service, their expertise, their their raw material even out of their goodwill. And at the same time, flip side of it, I also know that psychologically, there's a, a desire for what's next. How do I actually support myself financially because I've been furloughed, I've been laid off, things are... Oh, my manufacturing job is going away. My restaurant business is going away. My yoga instruction is going away. My movie theater is going, my events business is going away. My retreats business is going away, like that, right? So, so, so there is that dichotomy of yes, I want to give out of my goodwill because we're that's a decent uh, human thing to do at the same time. How do I support myself? Yeah. And that's why I keep going back to creating a profitable ecosystem. Because in my mind, my core belief is business is good. It's a sustainable mechanism to help things go around. So yeah. and sounds something to inquire about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've seen a shift, obviously, you know, there, there are certain industries and organizations that are actually doing better now. You know? And there are those who are on the brink of, of, of closing. So, I wonder if uh, now is not a, a good time. And a, a lot of the big organizations have donated millions of dollars and, and it's, you know, it's happening. It's not, you know, big big companies are not insensitive to, to what's happening.
0: Um, oh, of course. I, I wasn't implying that at all. Yeah, for sure. But I
1: think it's 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 a good reminder to for everyone, you know, to point out that there are real implications, you know, everyday implications to of this crisis to on on families, on, on individuals that are, you know, trying to figure out how are they are going to feed themselves the next day? You know, it's, um, yeah. Real, yeah.
0: well, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So that's something that that's the reason why we formulated the mastermind group. That's why I want to talk to you about innovation from my point of view. So in Chinese crisis has two characters. One is danger, the other one opportunity. So I'm focusing on this, not just to dwell on the danger part, but necessity is the mother of, uh, invention. Yes. So how can we take advantage of this opportunity? Because if you want to build, uh, uh organization of impact, of wealth, of riches, of influence. This is a really, really good time right now. Right. So that's what I wanted to focus on. So curious to know your point of view, Sophia. In the in the apparel industry, it's about I you you mentioned in one of your talks, you said something about like it's not just the product, it's the brand. And there's two other things that you mentioned. Sure. Yeah.
1: I don't remember. It's
0: not just the product, it's the brands, it's the story well, tell, is the tribes we create. This is the quote that you share on one of your presentations. Yeah. So, talk to us a little bit about someone, a designer, uh, an engineer, who is all right, I wanted to help, but it's not just the products. How should I create a movement based on what's the fear? Tell us
1: yeah I think it goes back to what I was saying before about the human connectivity and the the, the people behind the brands, people behind the, the products and people behind the roles, right? And we have we have an amazing opportunity to to rethink and and reset our values right now. It feels like this crisis right now is something that it is a sign from our planet that's telling us, you know what, I, I need you all to take a, a, a break, look look back, look inside, look at yourselves, look at how you act, how you live your lives, how you work, and, and think about how you can do this better, right? So granted, you know, in many industries, people still need things, you know, people need clothing, people in shoes. Although, you know, if you're not going out much right now, you know, it's that's kind of changing a little bit. So you will, you will still need things. You will still need services. You will still need infrastructure, things like that. I think our opportunity right now is to think about how we create those things in a much more responsible way, in a, in a much more efficient way, so that things like this Maybe, you know, these crises are, uh, will happen, you know, that's, that's inevitable, but maybe the impact of this and our ability to react to these crises might, might be much better uh, in the future. So becoming, you know, from the p- point of view of organizations becoming more agile, becoming, doing business in a way that does not put such a hard burden on our resources, on our planet, on our people. Being able to be more nimble, being able to focus on positive stories, you know bright spots, as opposed to just dwelling on 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 the negative or on on stories that that just you know make the news but don't 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 enrich anybody. I think this is a tremendous opportunity that that we're we're facing, and everyone should spend some time introspectively and, and 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 think about uh, how they're contributing to to society and how they're contributing to 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 this this planet and how their actions are actually impacting the overall dynamic of, of, of our humanity if you think about it and I think together we have the opportunity to if we if we come together, And if with the right values and the right intent, we honestly commit to improving and rethinking our our way of doing things, our way of life, our way of maybe even putting value on success. How we define success, in my opinion, needs to change. It cannot, it should not be attached to how big your bank account is. You know, these are the things that I think a lot of people are starting to think about and um, hopefully hopefully this, this crisis was, will, will initiate a, a sea change and a much needed transition, much needed shift in, in where we decide to place uh, to place our, our values.
0: Do you have a mental model or a framework to reveal what one's core values are?
1: I think that's very personal. I'm not sure. I I haven't honestly. I haven't um, thought about it to that to that extent. I know that it's something that you will most likely feel. You know, it's 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 very visceral, and uh, with a little bit of introspection, these these values will 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 appear to yourself. But I don't necessarily have a mental model. That's a good question. Actually, I should probably develop one.
0: <laughs> and, and I asked this question also because I it's part of my core beliefs and teaching that we make what we feel and we make what we are. So everything stems from the leadership team and the company level. If they are not clear about who they are and what they stand for, the decisions they make will also be kind of cloudy, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, as we all go through this, whether it's economic or health or physical or emotional challenge that we face, it reveals our true characters based on the decisions we make. We can all watch what companies do based on this greater challenge, this pressure point that they receive. So I was wondering if you have any, again, similar to your advice on a way to, let me pause for a second. See, so I can ask this question in a better way for someone who is being furloughed. They're looking to join an organization or get a new job, right? A new position. What kind of selection criteria would you recommend them to look at, to evaluate, to assess these companies during this time?
1: That's a good question. I think the same way I was. I mentioned um, that it's good for individuals to put, put their message out there, voice mm. their, their values and, and express who they are and what they believe in. I think a lot of the organizations that, that understand the, the importance of this have found a way to, to establish who they are, what they believe in, and, and why what type of, of, of a tribe they want to they want to create right internally uh, what, what what's the culture a great way to, to understand understand this to get a feel for this is to talk to people who work for this for these different organizations and get a feel for 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 what it is that the, the organization believes in and, and um, what the, the purpose is I was I was fortunate I've been with VF for 16 years now and um, a really
0: long time. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: I'm dating myself. Yeah, um, but I, um, I spent 13 years for the Van, at the, the brand at the Vans brand specifically, and then the last three four years, yeah, three four years for the the VF innovation in inside the VF uh, innovation team, but always connected to the the Vans brand and, and working from the, the headquarters. And the value the values that the the organization has ex- developed and expressed and and embed in every transaction and every every activity every message i think is is really powerful and and i i think it makes a huge difference i would not be with with uh, the organization uh, for this long if that that wasn't the case so i think it's important to 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 make sure that the organization that you're joining shares your values and the way to do this to to ensure this is to to really do your, do your research, talk to people who who have spent some time there and 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 see what they have to, uh, what they have to, uh, to share. You know?
0: I think part of the challenge with any kind of well value-driven marketing or value-driven declaration, whichever way you look at it, is it's how accurate, how true does the organization embody what they say they uh, aspire to achieve? Right. So, so, and a lot of times you got to read between the lines of what uh, these people tell you, what they actually do and what you actually receive. And I think that's very much a a internal awareness that one needs to calibrate with and bring it back to what you were saying earlier about empathy. It's really important that you have uh, calibrated your own internal awareness such that you can gauge the feedback, the data that you get from whoever you talk to within the organization and also what the company, what the organization put out in the public communication. Is that an accurate way to reflect what you said? I
1: think yes. And I think also it's a very dangerous game to play, to put out a message that, not, that does not truly resonate with who you are as an organization i think people can can see right through that and again if just trust your guts when and your gut feeling when you're when you're researching or when you're you're finding out about a specific organization because it's it's in the everyday actions it's not so much in in what the posters say what the banners say what the the motto says but it's it's really in the the, the action the everyday actions that you see whether the message matches the, the, the reality. And I think that the, the more successful brands have understood that and are really, you know, focusing on this and, and putting a lot of importance on, on this.
0: Mm. All right. So looking forward, my friend, let's let let me ask a couple more questions or then we'll complete. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for people who are watching the designers, the engineers. What opportunities should they tactically do more research on? Because Sofia has recommended them to, to do so. You, you had talked about democratization of education, anything around the apparel area. In terms of um, opportunities to create a micro brand, let's say, I'm just throwing out a random example, another Tom shoes, obviously not, but something like that or anything that's like, Hey. If I were recommending to my daughters, if they're starting a new apparel brand or active sports brand or something like that, I would look at these areas. Anything tactical like that?
1: Yeah, I would say, so first first of all, now is probably the most challenging time and, um, and environment to start something in. But in any case, I think, if you, one of the most important factors for, for success is the passion that you as an individual bring um, to what you do. Okay. And again, when I, when I look for candidates, when we, we hire, I think seeing someone who is incredibly passionate about what they do is a great indicator of their success as a, as a team member. Mm. so if you if you go into into and and want to create a business make sure you do so in a space that you're absolutely passionate about because you're going to spend all-nighters you're, you're going to sweat blood and tears in the endeavor and in the, in the process of establishing it and do it for the right reasons so do it because you have a, a message to share you have something to share with, with others, don't do it because you want to get rich. Don't do it because you, you want to be famous. But I think if you focus on what through your brand, through your service or your product you can bring others and are deeply passionate about, chances are people will recognize that and will want to support that. And again, it's not about the product, it's not about the product, but it's about what drives the people who contribute to bringing this product to uh, to reality to life, you know. And I think this is this is again, the the act of of purchasing, signing a check, pressing add to cart, and actually checking out, is is a deeply emotional act, right? So being able to connect with your audience, speaking to their heart, speaking to their brain too. But what's really gonna going to drive Drive people to act is, is if they feel emotionally compelled to to act and to support in your, your organization and your, your business. I think that's, to me, that's probably uh, one of the most important things. And then, obviously, you need to, to make sure you know what you're doing, knowing that you're always a student. So there's always opportunities to learn. Nobody knows everything. Nobody has all the clues. But if you adapt, adopt a, a growth mindset and realize that you can always get better and you can always learn more and and you surround yourself with people that you believe can help you. Chances are that you'll put a lot of the the critical factors of success on on your side.
0: Mm, Thank you. That actually was going to be my segue question to, are there tactical ways that one could demonstrate leadership during this time of uncertainty within an existing organization or community? So let me do a quick recap to see if you wanted to add anything on top of that. Everything you said is be passionate, be competent, be helpful, share your voice. Anything else beyond that to demonstrate leadership during this time of uncertainty within an organization?
1: I would say be selfless. You know, it's not, yeah. It's not about you. It's uh, about it's about the 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 objective, it's about the purpose, knowing that you are are one of the components of, of the way to get there, but it's not about, it's not about the individual.
0: So practically, do you set aside a certain time, time box, certain time to say, now is the time, this time is this time. I'm going to dedicate to reach out to my network and be as helpful as possible. Is there any practical ways that you use to help people to take certain actions.
1: Yeah, I think the way the way I've I've committed to specific to specific endeavors or specific activities has forced me into that space, right? So obviously during the days especially now in in this crisis, I have to and and we all have to balance those who have have kids have to balance their professional expectations and duties with homeschooling and, and family time. Everyone does um, the best they can. But beyond that, my commitment to, to teaching is something that that uh, happens outside of that. I teach it at night or in the late afternoon for most of the time. And so that automatically blocks, blocks out that, that time for me. But I wish I could say my calendar was that organized that I had blocks of time. I just end up working late at night and trying to, to juggle all this as, as best as I can.
0: Mm, beautiful. Thank you for that. I don't know if you read the book by Cal Newport. In any case, he had talked about four different ways super productive people chunking their time. Mm. One, is the, one is like a monk. Basically, you take a few weeks off to do certain things. Bill Gates does that. So he would take a certain uh, few weeks off to just read and go a deep dive. Mm -hmm. One is the ritualistic, right? So time box out a certain time of the day and then ritualize that concurrently. The last one is called journalistic, meaning if they can steal five minutes at a time, they'll write something like a journalist, hence the word journalistic. So it sounded to me, the way Sophia works best is more of a journalistic type approach. Is that accurate?
1: That could be the case, yeah. One thing that, yeah, one thing that that I realize really drives drives my daily activities is the desire to to learn. Always, whenever I have an opportunity, mm. whenever I have a question, make sure that I I find the information about it and I I, I develop a point of view about it. It's obviously something that could could keep one busy for for their whole life and uh, take up most of the time, but I think with access to information these days, you can very quickly learn about a specific topic. So if you, if you, if you choose these topics wisely and you, you build around that, that knowledge, your ability to, to see connection, we're going back to that, that idea of connections, to connect topics and, and connect opportunities becomes, becomes that, more, that more powerful.
0: Well, thank you, my friend for being so generous. I acknowledge you for uh, open your open heart, your open mind, your willingness to dance with me. Dan calls it a verbal jujitsu, right? Going back and forth with me. So thank you for being that. So for anyone that is motivated, that's inspired by what you're up to around democratizing innovation, democratizing education, democratizing apparel, right, innovation where should they follow you?
1: So I'm, these days I've, I've, I've not been, been very active with everything that I'm, that I'm juggling. I've not been very active on, on social media or at least uh, as much as I have been wanting to, but I have a presence on Instagram, on Facebook, on on LinkedIn and on Twitter. My handle is Safir Belali everywhere. I kept it, I kept it very simple, but I, as I, i develop a lot more of these these initiatives and connect more people i definitely look forward to to being more active and, and really leveraging those those platforms as ways to to connect and and building my my tribe
0: well my friend we look forward to you using your voice even more i think the people can really get inspired by the way that you bridge different resources the bridge different communities from design to engineering to people on the front line of hospitals and so forth i think there's lots of opportunities for all of us problem solvers to to get in so thank you so much for being here on noble warrior life
1: thank you for allowing me to share my thoughts it's been a it's been a pleasure